We're looking at um, Matthew 19, if you turn or scroll down to um, Matthew 19. Last week, our passage sort of finished with the, um, with the Lord saying in um, 19 and um, verse 14, Jesus said, Let the children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. We who come to Jesus must come to him as little children, free from thoughts of entitlement and pride, and instead with um, total trust in one who's infinitely more wise and powerful and righteous than we, leaning on the everlasting arms. In stark contrast, this week's lesson presents how an adult came to Jesus without that childlikeness. One might think that the Lord Jesus would have had a larger following if he had toned down his message and tailored it instead to his audience. To the legalistic Pharisees, be more accommodating. To the sexually immoral, be more tolerant, more inclusive. To the religious frauds and fakes, be less discriminating. But not so the Lord Jesus. He is uncompromisingly holy, and in his preaching he dealt in absolutes. At the grocery store last week, I was in the um, Mexican food aisle and um, looking at the salsa shelf, hot, medium, mild, couldn't find my, uh, my flavor. Um, and then I looked down and, okay, well, they've moved it. It's down here on the lower shelf. But it struck me that Jesus' truth is not hot, medium, or mild. We don't say of Jesus' teaching that this is really, really true. This is extremely true. This is medium uh, true. And, well, this is kind of mildly true. And it's for those who, uh, those who have a liking for that. Jesus' teaching was absolute. He dealt in, in truth, and there were no shades of gray, no, um, no grades involved in his teaching. Jesus' truth in him is yes, and in him is amen. And as king of heaven, he determines who enters his kingdom. He uh, he writes the rules, if you will. He is incredibly gracious, but equally particular and righteous. We are privileged this morning to listen in on an interview that Jesus had with a rich young ruler. And we are uh, privileged as well to, um, to listen to his thoughts, his observations, his commentary after the interview was finished. So with that, let's, um, let's read Matthew 19, beginning with verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? 
No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I've kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you, therefore what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly I say to you that in the generation when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Well, uh, we might title our message this morning, The Difficulty of Riches. And we'll study this passage by looking, by dividing it into three sections. The uh, first is rich opportunities lost. The second, divine observations about riches. And the third, the reward of the Lord's followers. Lord, we ask you again, uh, who is sufficient for these truths? We Pray that you would communicate them to the speaker and to the hearers alike for application as we go through life. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. The young man's approach, verse 16, uh, he came to him and um, I have my other, um, my parallel some of you have uh, your parallel um, verses. Noad's got his on his phone, and um, I'm tempted to get mine, but I'll depend on you to go through these. In Mark, Mark records that um, the young man ran to him. Whatever was on his heart, he was earnest about it. Mark 10. We, um, we see a rich person at the mall running, or somebody well-dressed, and uh, I'm curious anyway, uh, someone running through the mall, but uh, if I see someone who's uh, dressed in a three-piece suit and he's got, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's obviously well-to-do, well 
I, I, I watch, you know, what's going on? And so here we have um, a rich man running, and he's headed toward Jesus. So whatever's on his heart, he's, um, he's headed for the right person. But he calls him good teacher. He says, good teacher, what good thing shall I do? And the, uh, the rich young man exposed his ignorance as to who Jesus is. He, uh, he put Jesus on the same level as uh, other teachers, like Nicodemus. Uh, Jesus referred to him as a teacher uh, of Israel. And he said, what good work, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So not only was he ignorant about the identity of Jesus, but he was ignorant about the way of salvation too. He thought there was something good that he must do to earn salvation. But he came with questions to Jesus and he did the right thing. It's commendable. The Lord Jesus corrected him. He said um, in verse 17, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Why should we call Jesus good? Well, he was on the earth full of grace and truth. That would have been uh, apparent to the, um, those he ministered to. In Hebrews 1, we read, he manifested the excellence of God. He, uh, he showed the brightness of God's glory in human form. In John 10, the Lord Jesus revealed himself as the good shepherd. And uh, also in John 10, we read that he, uh, he did many good works, which he showed from his father. Even to his enemies, even to his adversaries, he showed good works. Who is he to whom they bring all the sick and sorrowing? Tis the Lord. O wondrous story, tis the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Far from denying his deity, the Lord Jesus was affirming it. And he gave the young man opportunity to acknowledge him as the King of heaven. If there, if there was a time to prostrate himself and to worship the King, now was his time. But... He passed the opportunity. He was apparently unmoved because the Lord Jesus continued on. He said, if you want to go about doing, obey the commandments. The, um, the rich young man responded in verse 18, which ones? Today, if we talk to people and we say, um, uh, how are you getting to heaven? And they say, oh, I'm, I'm obeying the commandments. I'm obeying the Ten Commandments. Um, I don't know that I've heard one who could list the Ten Commandments. What are the commandments that you're obeying? Well, I don't know, uh, but I'm obeying. Okay, so I don't know if, the, if this rich young man was ignorant of the commandments, but he's asking the Lord, which ones? The Lord quoted five commandments that deal with our fellow men, and he finished with uh, 
the command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so um, the young man responded in verse 20, he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. All these things. The young man was not convinced of his spiritual need, and he was unwilling for the Lord Jesus to lead him there. In effect, the rich young man said, I am good. In spite of the Lord Jesus' warning that none is good but God. And he wouldn't confess the supreme goodness of the, uh, the Lord who stood before him. The perfect one looked on the imperfect The self-sacrificing one looked on the self-seeking one. The infinitely humble one looked on the ambitious and proud. The supremely good looked on him who was tragically lacking and destitute of anything inherently good. There was nothing good in him. Uh, Mark Um, records in uh, 1021 that Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus has such a heart that he loves the unlovely. This challenge of obedience to God's commands was the um, second opportunity that the Lord gave the rich young man to deal honestly. Listen, let's let's deal honestly here. I am good, I am God the Son. Jesus uh, gave him that opportunity, he failed. And he said, uh, he says now, um, these are the, uh, the commandments, how have you done? And he failed the test. He said, oh, I've, I've done all those, I've, I've obeyed those. So what compelled this young man to approach the Lord Jesus so earnestly? Well, there, there may be a clue here in, in verse 20. He said, um, all these things I've kept from my youth, what do I still lack? I've, uh, I've, done, I've done all the requirements, and yet I've got this emptiness in my soul. I've got this void, this spiritual void that is uh, gnawing at me. It's, uh, it's there, and I can't seem to get rid of it. The rich young man realized there was something eternally significant missing from his life, and he wanted what he didn't have. C.H. McIntosh wrote, Some are drawn to Jesus by a deep sense of guilt, some by a deep sense of need. The guilty conscience and the craving heart must both be brought to Jesus, for he alone can perfectly meet both the one and the other. He can remove by his precious sacrifice every stain from the conscience. And he can fill up by his peerless person every blank in the heart. The conscience which has been purged by the blood of Jesus is perfectly clean. And the heart which is filled with the person of Jesus is perfectly satisfied. So this man had... um, had something missing, something huge missing in his soul. 
The Lord Jesus gave the man yet a third opportunity in verse 21. If you want to be perfect, go. Sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. If you're genuinely interested in doing good, go sell what you have. Give it to the poor. Gene Gibson said, I wish that I'd said that. Uh, he was an elder at Fairhaven and uh, for many years um, undoubtedly had seen many uh, come through the doors, uh, rich people who were trusting in their riches, and um, he wished that he'd been able to say to them, go, sell what you have, give to the poor, take up your cross, come and follow me. The young man had not obeyed God's commandments, but the one that was most obvious to all was that he had not loved his neighbor as himself. Instead, he was hoarding riches. The Lord Jesus knew what it was to sell all he had and give to the poor. He wasn't asking the rich man to do anything he hadn't already done. Two startling sayings of the Lord Jesus that perhaps only he could say. One is, keep the commandments. And the other is, sell what you have. Give to the poor. Follow me. Jesus challenged the man as one who had the authority to do so. And he offered the man satisfaction that no one else could. Jesus promised him treasure in heaven, but he could not, he would not force the man to follow him. It's a choice that he had to make. It's a choice that we have to make, whether we will, whether we will follow the Lord Jesus or not. In verse 22, the, uh, the young man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Three opportunities, three failures. In effect, the young man was saying, heal me of my emptiness, but don't touch my wealth. The crime of eternity is to approach Jesus and question him without acknowledging who he is and without doing what he says. The young man blended into the crowd, he, or he disappeared down the road, and the Lord Jesus looked around at his disciples, and he gave this summary of what had just happened. In verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not this man, it's not hard for this man, but he says, it is hard for a rich man, that is, any rich man, to enter the kingdom of heaven. What is the king's passion? What, uh, what does the king want, the king of heaven? Well, he's opened the gates of heaven wide enough for all to enter in. But he writes the rule of entry the just shall live by faith. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saves us. His passion is that he, he wants all men to come 
to salvation, to come to the knowledge of the truth. And he uh, seeks to take away those hindrances that would keep people out of his kingdom. Those hindrances like the, um, the emphasis on the law, on form, on ritual, on ceremony. Who am I talking about? The Pharisees. They had low thoughts of God's holiness. And Jesus told his uh, listeners in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What's, what's he trying to do? He's trying to remove this roadblock. Look, you, you uh, come to me in brokenness. Acknowledge your spiritual poverty, your inadequacy, your unfitness for heaven. Mourn your personal sin and you will enter the kingdom of heaven. What about fakery? What about the fraud, the empty professions, those who had no relation to the king? There were those in, uh, also in the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord Jesus warned, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will, uh, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. What was the king looking for? He wants confession of sin. He wants repentance. He wants faith. He wants me to take off my hypocrisy. He, uh, he tried to remove the uh, stumbling block of pride and self-reliance. He told uh, the disciples um, in Matthew 18, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you're converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You need to put away pride and come to me as, as children, as uh, those who, uh, who trust, those who are reliant on me. That's what the Lord Jesus was saying. And here, he's, uh, he's trying to set aside this hurdle of riches. And he says, um, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. What's the remedy here? Sell what you have. Give to the poor. Take up your cross. Come and follow me. The difficulty, the Lord points out here, is simply that one having riches trusts in them. This is, the, um, this is the hindrance here, that uh, having my wealth, I, I begin to trust in the wealth in ways that I should trust in the Lord. And the difficulty amounts to a near impossibility. So the Lord gave a dramatic in, uh, illustration. He, he chose the largest animal in, in Palestine, and he said, it is more, it's easier for this huge camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. 
he uses a, um, a figure of speech, a hyperbole. He uses something extreme to, to show us the seriousness of what he's, uh, what he's teaching. And Mark records that the Lord Jesus repeated himself. He said, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. And even today, we should respond uh, as, the, as the disciples did in verse 25. Who then can be saved? The rich person relies on his or her wealth in ways that he or she should be relying on the Lord. Proverbs is so, uh, so expressive on this. Proverbs 18, verse 11. The rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own esteem. So uh, I'm sitting on my, uh, on my wealth and uh, as a rich man, it is my strong city. You're not going to break through. I've got these high walls erected um, that, that my wealth has provided. When in the previous verse, Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run to it and are safe. So here's a contrast. We have, uh, we have a strong city. We have uh, the rich man's strong city. We have the Lord's strong tower for safety. David wrote in Psalm 18, he said, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. David had this stronghold. He had a shield, had a fortress in the Lord Jehovah, his God. And in uh, Isaiah we read, We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. The rich man trusts in what he sees. And he thinks that his uh, bank account, his um, earthly treasures, his wallet, his uh, credit cards, um, his gold coins are a strong city. But it's, um, it's so telling, it's so instructive for us in Proverbs 18.11 that it is a high wall in his own esteem, not in God's not in God's sight, but um, we could translate that word uh, esteem as imagination. The writer of Proverbs says, uh, his wealth is a high wall in his imagination. What's real? Well, in what ways does the rich man rely on his or her riches for safety. The first that comes to mind is health. Money buys the best medical coverage. The best doctors, uh, the best health insurance. So whatever health concerns I have um, are taken care of. 
I'll be healed. What more do I need? Uh, employment. I really don't have to work um, because I've got all this wealth. Years ago, um, the um, organization I was working for was shutting down and they were giving job counseling, job interview counseling. And one of the, one of the techniques, one of the tips was go to the bank and withdraw as much money as you can, as you can afford to. Uh, convert that into cash and put that in your pocket so that when you go to your job interview, you have this security, you have this assurance. Hey, I don't need your job. I've got, I've got uh, whatever was in my bank account. Okay? That's real. Real advice. Socially, uh, how am I relying on my riches for, uh, for my social, my family, my friends? Well, I provide for them uh, their daily bread. I give them each day their daily bread. Um, I hardly need to pray for them because um, I, I, I'm able to support them. I'm able to, to provide for them. Uh, fourth um, is uh, safety in tribulation, if you will. Now, the wealthy man is not going to believe in the, in the tribulation necessarily. But there is such a thing, uh, search for it online, called apocalypse insurance. That means uh, for the wealthy, I can, uh, I can cash weapons and food and gold coins and medical supplies. And you laugh, but this is real. Uh, our, um, our extremely rich uh, people in Silicon Valley have, uh, I, one guy has an island in Hawaii that he's almost taken over, and he's got his own uh, air, air service to it. It's, uh, it's insurance against um, a pandemic. This article I was reading um, was before the COVID virus, so uh, he, he's uh, insuring himself against the pandemic, against um, anarchy, uh, against um, any kind of apocalyptic uh, crisis that, uh, that you could think of. Get in your plane and land on your island and uh, I'm so wealthy, I'm safe. Okay? Apocalypse insurance. And then um, we have the rich man who um, believes that his riches will save him, save his soul. And the psalmist hints at this in Psalm 49. He says, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever, that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. So the rich man says, in effect, that same financial drive, that momentum that I've had on the earth that solves so many of my problems is going to see me through eternity as well. There seems to be enough of this 
in the, in the wealthy that um, the psalmist warn, warns against us and Peter contrasts it with the blood of Jesus. He says, you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So how does one coax a rich person out of his imaginary castle? It's imaginary, so this is going to be tough. But the Lord uses what we described earlier. He gives the person a deep sense of guilt or a deep sense of his need. In the case of this rich man, he had no guilt. He had no remorse, no sense of of, uh, guilt to bring him out of um, of his false confidence. And so the Lord uh, appealed to his need. The rich man himself said, uh, what, what am I lacking? I've got this, uh, this emptiness. But um, he failed as well. He was not willing to, to fill this emptiness that he had in his own soul. In verse 26, Jesus looked at them and he said uh, to them in response to their question, who then can be saved? He said, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. With men, salvation is, is not possible. It's not within our reach. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can ease my awful load. We were dead in trespasses and sins. That is, we had no, uh, no responsiveness. There was no vitality that I could, uh, I could respond to, to God with. We were spiritually lifeless. Add to that the hindrances of wealth, of uh, this false security, and the, the case really becomes hopeless. Thank the Lord. He is mighty to save. And with him, all things are possible. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So the hymn writer could finish his, um, his, his hymn, Thy work alone, my Savior, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. So we have, um, we have the Lord's observations, his assessment, um, thankfully, um, he deals with impossibilities. They are, they are within his, his ability to, um, uh, to do, to save. Peter, in verse 27, he's, um, he's listening to this, and he seized on the Lord's challenge to the young man to, um, to forsake all and follow him. And so he offers this in, uh, in verse 27. He says, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? 
The rich young ruler had great earthly possessions, but he desired eternal life. Peter had eternal life, but had forsaken all his earthly riches, his possessions to follow Jesus. For two and a half years, the disciples had accepted their greatest privilege and embarked on the greatest adventure a person could have while Christ was on earth, that is, to follow him, to live with him, to walk with him and talk with him, to, uh, to eat and minister with him. But it seems, in, uh, in spite of all this, that there was a spirit of um, bargaining uh, that, um, that entered into Peter. He said, uh, we've left all and followed you, therefore, what shall we have? What, what's in it for us? Perhaps he was thinking of the heavenly treasure that the Lord Jesus had offered the young man in verse 21. The Lord responded graciously to Peter. He said those who had followed him would rule with him during the restored, uh, regenerated Israel during the millennial reign. They would, uh, they would sit and rule with the Lord Jesus. Uh, for what sacrifices they've made, they would receive a hundredfold. If we receive something twofold, that's, uh, we get double for it, that's 200%. We get a uh, hundredfold, that's 10,000% uh, of, uh, of our sacrifices. The Lord said, um, uh, he's, he's not a debtor to any man, but he's going to reward richly for those sacrifices that his followers make. And then uh, thirdly, he told Peter that he would... Uh, he would enter, he would inherit eternal life. Not that Peter would merit or earn eternal life by his sacrifices, but uh, because eternal life is a gift from God, as uh, we remembered in our worship meeting, a gift um, by his grace through faith. But the disciple who uh, who sacrifices will have a larger capacity to enjoy that eternal life that the Lord gives. And then um, in verse 30, uh, a warning here, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Those we think started well will have, uh, will receive the rewards but if they don't continue in their sacrificial living, the Lord says they're going to be last. You thought they would be first, but really they're going to be last. And then there were those dear saints who stumbled and struggled and, and had such a fitful start. We, we thought, how's the Lord ever going to recognize the work of this one? They finish strong, and the Lord says that last will be first. So uh, be encouraged, dear laborer. God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Several applications we can make to this morning's passage. First of all, are you running to Jesus? 
Are you, uh, do you have a burden of guilt or do you have this, uh, this void, this emptiness uh, within your soul? You're on the right track. Keep on. Don't let up. But realize that Jesus is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. And um, do not condemn him with faint praise by calling him teacher and thinking that uh, that's, that's it. And the other thing that we have to guard against is um, cheapening his salvation. Okay, as you're running to Jesus, realize that um, uh, salvation is not by anything that I can do, but it's by everything that he has done. A second application um, is, are you storing up gold and silver and property and assets? And the, um, uh, the takeaway this morning is don't collect the wealth that keeps you and your loved ones from entering the kingdom of heaven. Don't put a stumbling block in front of the feet of your heirs, your children, and your grandchildren. And then the third application is, um, as a follower of Jesus, are you speaking to wealthy people for him? If so, realize the special obstacles that you face in uh, speaking to a, a person who is trusting in this imaginary uh, fortress. We have to overcome that. We have to, to work with that. They must leave the imagined safety of their earthly wealth for the strong city that we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Rich truths this morning, Lord Jesus, we, um, uh, we thank you so much for um, clearing the path to, uh, to your kingdom of these uh, hurdles, these roadblocks, and um, we, we pray that we might take these truths to heart, um, that we might honor you, we might love you, we might serve you in the days ahead. We thank you in your name. Amen. I've asked... Um, David, if we could close this morning with the hymn, If I Gain the World But Lost the Savior. <laughs>